Hi, and welcome to another episode of Five Minutes of Rum, Notes on Rum, a few minutes at a time. This is episode 35, in fact. My name is Kevin Up the Grove. Today's episode features Banks 5 Rum, Luxardo Maraschino Liqueur, Grapefruit Juice, a sidebar on juicers, and closes with another daiquiri recipe, the Trader Vic daiquiri, or at least one of the daiquiris Trader Vic's calls the Trader Vic daiquiri. So as mentioned, the rum in this episode is the Banks 5 Rum. Uh, the Banks Rum Company makes three different kinds of rum. Uh, they're labeled as the Banks 5, Banks 7, and a limited edition that they make. Uh, the 5 is a white rum, and the 7 and the limited edition are both gold rums. I have a bottle of the 5, and that's what, I've, uh, what I'm sampling and using the recipe for today's show. I didn't know much about Banks Rum uh, before receiving this as a gift from my sister, um, and as usual, when receiving a new bottle of rum, my first thought was, hey, let's make a daiquiri. Uh, I've since looked into the Banks Rum a little bit more. Their, excuse me, their official website isn't really a wealth of information in terms of what the process is that they use to make the rum, uh, but it's primarily where they tell the story and the marketing behind the rum, um, and those are very evident when you page through their their site. Uh, link in the show notes for that. The five in Banks Five means that this rum is a blend of five rums from five different regions. So in that way, it sort of reminds me right off the bat as the plantation um, as of the plantation three-star white rum from episode twenty-five which it was a blend of rums from Barbados, Trinidad, and Jamaica, making up the three-star in the Plantation Three Stars. Anyways, uh, for more on that, go listen to episode 25. Uh, Banks 5 is said to be a blend of 21, yes, 21 rums from six distilleries from five islands. Those islands are Trinidad, Jamaica, Guiana, Barbados, and Java. So that's a pretty solid lineup with a lot of English-style rum influence uh, and many of my favorite regions including uh, Jamaica and Guiana rums. And so uh, right off the bat, it seems like this would be a good match if, if they can execute what they're saying uh, with any degree of skill. Um, and here's what Banks is looking for according to their website with each island. Uh, from Trinidad, uh, and in Trinidad, I would uh, generally think of the Plantation Dark Rum or Angostura's line of rums. Uh, they're looking there for, uh, to get some backbone for their rum from a hint of blackstrap molasses, which uh, to me is a little bit suspect. I don't really think of that in a white rum, but that's what they're going for. Um, the island number two, Jamaica, so think Appleton rums. Uh, there they're going to get the aromatics that you would expect from a Jamaican pot-stilled rum and probably some of the body that you would get from that. Uh, from Guiana, uh, again, Guiana, think El Dorado rums. Uh, they're looking to the Guiana rum as adding some depth and some earthiness. Uh, from the Barbados Island, uh, you can think Mount Gay in that case. Uh, they're looking for quote-unquote character, uh, which was a little bit vague. I'm not sure exactly what they're looking for from Barbados. Um, and then their fifth island is the island of Java. Uh, and this is technically a, a different product, not necessarily a rum. It's Batavia Iraq, um, which is a distillate made from red rice, but it's similar to rum, uh, especially in the way that it's processed. And it's here primarily for adding a certain bit of spiciness to the rum. So with that much going on, the challenge would be if you were a distiller or if you were uh, the blender is how do you make anything stand out and how do you make this uh, something that's more than equal to the sum of its parts. Uh, the rum itself is bottled at 86 proof or 43% alcohol by volume. Uh, it's got a fairly uh, stately, sharp looking label with a lot of scripted characters on it. Um, the, the company itself is named after Sir Joseph Banks, who was an English patron of natural sciences, who among other things, uh, sailed with Captain Cook and was himself a noted botanist. 
So time to taste the Banks 5 and see what I can find in here. Um, so Banks 5, appearance, as you would expect from a white rum, it is crystal clear. Uh, when swirled in a glass, it develops long, thin, quick legs that uh, drip down the side of the glass. Aroma on the rum, uh, when I'm smelling it directly from the bottle, very mellow with a little bit of a hint of citrus peel. Once it's been poured and swirled, it opens up a little bit more, gives you a little bit more astringency, although it's pretty mild, uh, even for an 86 proof rum. And I smell a little bit of spice, but not really what you would expect a typical spice. Um, typically what I find with a white rum is that if you smell spice, it's usually vanilla or, um, or you smell sugar or both. Uh, in this case, I don't really get vanilla or sugar, but there is a little bit of spiciness to it. Um, the taste itself, uh, it's dry with a decent amount of body for a white rum. So uh, it's, as you expect, more of that English style white rum as opposed to a Spanish style rum. Uh, there are spice elements on the middle of the, when you're, when you're sipping it around the middle and then on the swallow. Taste a little bit here. Uh, in terms of finish, uh, a, a lingering warmth on the tongue, which is you know, fairly pleasant. I don't get as much finish in the back of the throat as I do with some other uh, more aged rums that are a little bit higher proof. But overall, a very smooth finish um, that hangs around in a, in a pleasant way, not in a bad way. So of those five islands, uh, what can I actually pick out? Um, I do get the spiciness from the Iraq that I think Banks was going for and some body from what I'm going to presume is the Jamaican rum in that pot still. Um, I agree that there is uh, a depth to the blend overall. So in other words, the, the taste changes from when you first sip it to when it finishes. That gives it that, you know, that really tells you there's some sort of depth to what you're drinking. Um, I don't pick up any of the characteristics that I personally expect from a Guiana or a Trinidad rum. Uh, it reminds me of the plant. I, I certainly, going back to what they said about Trinidad, I certainly didn't pick up anything that would remind me of a blackstrap rum, uh, which is normally very assertive and uh, makes itself known, you know, pretty obviously. Um, it does remind me overall of the plantation three star rum, but with the Iraq adding a spice element where the plantation rum seemed just a little bit more floral. Uh, this is overall a very, very good white rum, uh, a bit spendy to mix with all the time. Cause I think it comes in, if I remember correctly, cause I'd looked it up a while ago, I think it was around $28 a bottle. Uh, so compared with plantation three stars as a, a one liter bottle that you can generally get for about 18 bucks. Um, I would make this uh, a rum. I would keep this rum on hand for making a, a really good daiquiri. And it's also very sippable neat, which is uh, a pretty good trick for white rums because those aren't always known for being ones that you want to sip neat. Uh, so while I don't pick up everything that they have advertised in terms of the five islands and the Banks five rum, it is a skillfully blended rum and much more complex of a white rum than a white rum that you would get in the Spanish style. Now, because of its use in some daiquiri recipes, and in particular the daiquiri recipe that's in today's episode, I did also want to talk a little bit about Luxardo Maraschino liqueur. Um, maraschino is a liqueur made from distilling Morasca cherries, which is a small sour cherry variety that's cultivated in Italy. Uh, there are multiple brands, but I happen to use the Luxardo brand. Uh, there's a picture of that in the show notes. Uh, it's a you know rather handsome tall bottle that looks good uh, in your home bar. It's got a small plastic pour, uh, pour spout that's built into the neck, um, and that's because you're usually going to be dosing out maraschino in small amounts. Now, the most common image when hearing the word maraschino will probably be those impossibly red cherries that are used on hot fudge sundaes or as bar garnishes, but maraschino liqueur is quite different in taste than, than those over-sweetened cherries you may be thinking of. Uh, by the way, Luxardo also makes real, quote-unquote, real maraschino cherries. They're awesome. They're a little pricey. 
and I'll talk more about them in a future episode when I talk about the three dots and a dash cocktail. So the, the Morasca cherries and their pits are used to produce the distillate, which is the base for Luxardo maraschino liqueur. Um, and according to Luxardo, they age it in a couple different wood vessels. And once it's done aging, they dilute it down to 32% alcohol by volume and sugar is added. Uh, so tasting maraschino, what, what does maraschino bring? What does it taste like? Well, let's start with the appearance. Uh, like the rum, it's very clear in the glass. Um, there's not really much to it. Aroma, when you smell it, it smells both sweet and nutty, uh, and there's no burn to tip you off to the alcohol. Again, it's 32% alcohol by volume, so as far as liqueurs go, it's not too shabby. Uh, there's some woodiness when you smell it, uh, but it's very slight, and not a lot of it will, not, when you smell it, it doesn't really tip you off to the fact that it, it's based on cherry and cherry pits. Uh, certainly don't expect anything like a cherry brandy here or that kind of element, because that's not what you're going to get. Uh, in terms of taste, it's very thick and sweet at first from the sugar, and then immediately followed by a distinct bitterness, and then sweet again. And there's a, a spiciness present if you swirl it a bit in your mouth. It's absolutely a strong flavor despite the added sugar, so it's easy to see why you'd want to use a small amount, else it'll overpower the other flavors in your cocktail. Uh, so in, in that way, it has to be used a, a, with care, like blackstrap rum or Campari. Not that you can't base an entire cocktail around those ingredients, but you have to really understand the impact that it's going to have on the rest of the things you're putting in there. Um, so um, as an example, if you're going to make a Campari cocktail, you have to know that if you use a lot of it, it's going to dominate the other flavors. The maraschino liqueur is the same way, and that's why, and often, that's why often in recipes you'll see a quarter ounce of it used or a half ounce or something. You know, you're not generally pouring an ounce or two of that out on its own. And if you are, you're probably not going to see a lot of other ingredients because they're just going to get buried behind that, that liqueur. Um, in terms of finish, a very slight bit of heat, but then the, mostly it's lingering sweetness from the sugar. Um, and it's almost a little bit of a medicinal sweetness flavor that's left behind, uh, which sounds unpleasant, but I don't really mean it to be unpleasant. Um, in essence, it's not something I would prefer to sip on its own, but when you use it in small doses, it really does provide an additional level of complexity in cocktails. And that's why I often will use it in a daiquiri recipe, um, including the one that we'll talk about later. But I, I like that it adds just a little bit of, you know, to go back to what Banks was talking about with their rum, where they were looking for the blackstrap from Trinidad to add backbone. I think that this helps add backbone to a cocktail when you use it in, in small amounts. Um, uses of Luxardo maraschino liqueur, um, again, small amounts in cocktails. Um, in fact, the amounts are so small and the recipes are so few for this that at first I resisted dropping the $28 or whatever on a bottle because it seemed like it was too much money for too little use. Uh, but I've grown to like it more and more, and I probably only go through a bottle every 18 months or so, maybe every two years. Uh, so it doesn't actually work out to be that that bad. Um, just know that you're probably not going to use it all the time. Um, if I were going to actually use it in some new recipes, I may end up needing it a little bit more. Um, but right now I'm using it in small amounts, so it, it tends to last for a while. Now, also building towards today's cocktail, I want to talk a little bit about grapefruit juice. Um, grapefruit juice uh, is an important ingredient in many of the cocktails that I make um, that are from the quote-unquote tiki era. Um, let's 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 uh, first define the grapefruit juice a little bit first. So in, if you go to the grocery store, you're going to find different varieties of grapefruits. Primarily, you're going to find red grapefruit and pink grapefruit. So if we talk about red versus pink versus white, those are not all the same. Um, briefly, the, once upon a time, white grapefruit was the grapefruit. Um, and then that's the one that was used, you know, back post-prohibition. 
And those are the ones that are formulated for, or the ones that are used in classic cocktails. So if you're looking at a recipe from, say, before the rise of the pink grapefruit, and pink grapefruit and red grapefruit really was something that was engineered to sort of counterbalance the bitterness. Um, as people's tastes changed over the years and went more towards sweet, um, white grapefruit was suffering a little bit, or grapefruit in general was suffering a little bit. And so uh, the red and pink grapefruits were bred, in essence, to bring more people back over towards, you know, add a little bit more sweetness and maybe draw people back from the oranges they were migrating to, for instance. So it's really a way for grapefruit farmers to get people back on board with grapefruit. All that to say is that depending on when your cocktail recipe was formulated, you're not going to get the same results if you go pink grapefruit versus white grapefruit. So generally, if it's what I call a classic cocktail recipe, something from either the 60s or earlier, I'm looking for white grapefruit juice. Whereas today, if you got a recipe from a bar where they're using grapefruit juice, it's very likely that they may be using pink grapefruit juice because that's the one that's easiest to find. Um, for classic cocktails, though, white grapefruit is the way to go. Um, unfortunately, because people's tastes have changed to uh, white and, um, excuse me, to pink and red grapefruit, it's actually pretty hard to find white grapefruit. Um, it's generally in season in the winter months, although it's grown almost year round. Um, and it's grown in California, which makes it even harder for me to believe that I can't find it, uh, except for, again, people's tastes are not are such that they don't really want white grapefruit. Um, there's different variations you can look for, depending on what region you're in and depending on what time of year it is. Um, in order of my preference, there's just standard white grapefruit. There's the Oro Blanco, which is generally available in California, at least from farmer's markets, almost year-round. Uh, there is a cocktail grapefruit, which looks like a white grapefruit, but I have found to be a little bit sweeter. And then there's the pomelo, which I haven't really explored any use of pomelo in cocktail. But uh, if I couldn't find the ones above, I'd probably go for a pomelo and see how that works out. Um, what do you do when they're not in season? So in California, like I said, they're not really widely available, despite the fact that they're widely grown in our citrus regions. Uh, and that's just because, again, people prefer the pink or the ruby red varieties. Um, so a couple other options you have in terms of bottled or canned grapefruit would be those little tiny cans that you see sometimes in grocery stores or bar or not, well, bars or, uh, liquor stores. And then there's the ocean spray white grapefruit juice bottle that sits on the shelf in the juice section. Um, I would find between those two, um, your better bet is probably the ocean spray juice. Uh, it does get flat. I mean, you buy it in like, I think a 64 ounce container. If you're not using it a lot or drinking it a lot outside of cocktails, it loses any potency it has within a few weeks and at that point becomes kind of not useful, um, but it is better than those tiny cans. The tiny can juices tend to taste very metallic uh, no matter when you get them. In other words, uh, you have no way of knowing when they were actually created and they're probably pretty oxidized before you even got them into your house and, and used them in your cocktail. So um, if you're not gonna use fresh white grapefruit um, if, because you can't, I would try the ocean spray juice. Um, and one cheater way you can get around and adding a little bit more brightness to the grapefruit flavor, if you're using uh, the ocean spray juice, is get a bottle of the Fee's grapefruit bitters. I found that in a cocktail, if you add a dash of grapefruit bitters, if you're already using grapefruit juice, that helps kind of amp up the grapefruit element, and in, then it starts to play more nicely with the other ingredients and just sort of brightens it up a little bit. So um, that's one way to almost emulate a, a fresh white grapefruit without having white fresh white grapefruit on hand. Uh, there's also folks that have said they squeeze a lot of it in bulk when they buy it, and then they freeze it in cubes and save it that way. Uh, that seems like a really good idea in principle, but I haven't tried it, and I'd be wary of cubes picking up any kind of freezer funk if they're left in the freezer for too long, because 
Uh, things have a tendency to change flavors if you leave them in the freezer for too long. So if you're going to try that method, definitely use a solid sealing system uh, to make sure that you don't pick up any other unexpected flavors in your frozen grapefruit cubes. Um, when it comes to juicing grapefruits and otherwise, you know, uh, lime juice, lemon juice, orange juice, my literal standby is an industrial mechanical juice press that while it's not really portable, it still travels with me to events. Uh, there's pictures of that in the show notes. I've actually been through a, a large, uh, from, you know, considering a large number of juicers, this is the, the industrial mechanical lever based juice press was really the first one that stood up to any sort of punishment that I inflict on it on a regular basis. So I, I like that one the best, but much like coffee brewers and headphones, I'm seemingly always looking at other options. And so for Christmas recently, I got the Black & Decker CJ625. There's a picture of that and also a link to Black & Decker site in the show notes. Um, I had asked for that based on its economical price because I don't think it's that expensive. It had some pretty decent reviews and it looked like it would be possibly better and more portable for traveling. Um, I've had a chance to use it a couple of times and I think that while uh, it, it, it does a, a really good job of juicing, it's a little bit more manual, strangely, it's, it's a little bit more hands-on than using the juice press, but it's actually better at getting um, extraction out of the citrus itself. So I definitely think it's a, it's a worthy investment, especially if you don't want to devote the counter space to the large lever-based juice press. Um, it does make me wonder if it can stand up to a lot of punishment if you're going to use it over and over again. I don't know how good the motor is. And again, I, it's hard for me to say, yes, this is the one when I've only used it a couple of times in the, in the week or so it's been since Christmas. But overall, it seems like a pretty solid unit and it'll probably be traveling with me. Um, choosing one over the other, whether it's a manual juice press or something electronic that plugs into the wall, like the Black & Decker, it's really just a matter of trade-offs or, uh, what you, you know, what you're looking for, what's important for you. Uh, like I said, the Black & Decker is great at getting more extraction. The, the lime shells and lemon shells and grapefruit shells definitely seem like they're free of all juice when I'm done, but it's actually, you know, that unit is slower and involves more cleanup. Uh, the lever-based pressed is is quick and it's powerful and easy to clean, but it's heavy. It takes up a lot of space on the counter, and I don't think it gets the same amount of extraction out of uh, out of citrus that the Black and Decker does. So, uh, again, a lot of things are trade offs, uh, but that's another option to make sure that you get that fresh juice that you need for cocktails. Because always, always squeeze citrus fresh for cocktails. So now we finally get to the cocktail in this episode: the Trader Vic Daiquiri. Um, there are countless daiquiri variations, and this happens to be another one. Um, I like the proportions in this recipe when when white grapefruit is in season and I can get fresh white grapefruit for squeezing. Um, admittedly, it's on the tart side with the grapefruit juice and the lime juice and the maraschino, but when you balance that with a good rum and some a little bit of syrup, this one can really work. Uh, that said, if you're not working with fresh white grapefruit juice, I'd probably skip this one uh, and work with something that maybe uses grapefruit juice in a slightly different proportion. Uh, this recipe comes from the Trader Vic's Tiki Party book, which, um, you know, admittedly is a little bit hit or miss, but it's given me some good tips. And so I have a link to that in the show notes if you want to check it out. Um, it's not like everything's a home run, but it does help round out the Trader Vic's cocktail uh, menu when I'm making those drinks at home. Uh, the recipe itself for the Trader Vic daiquiri, two ounces of silver rum, in this case using the Banks 5 rum, one ounce of fresh white grapefruit juice, one half ounce of fresh lime juice, one half ounce of simple syrup, and one half ounce of maraschino liqueur. So combine all of those ingredients into a shaker and then fill that with ice. Shake and then strain into a um, either a cocktail glass or a coupe glass. Uh, you probably want to have that chilled. 
and then a lime twist would be a nice garnish, but I find most often a garnish is not required for this drink. So in terms of tasting on this cocktail, overall, especially with the um, with the Banks rum and the fresh white grapefruit juice, I find this to be a very smooth daiquiri. Uh, the Banks playing a complementary role to the fresh grapefruit and the maraschino, and then putting a little bit of bite behind the sweetness of the syrup and adding you know, one more, the maraschino adding one more layer of complexity over just a standard uh, rum, lime, and sugar trio. So again, one of my favorite daiquiris, a little bit on the big side because you're looking at, I guess in this case, it's what, two, three, four, four and a half ounces, whereas a standard daiquiri might be a little bit smaller than that. But um, you're not really overpowering it with extra booze. Um, it's still a, you know, a two ounce pour, but a lot of, you know, plus the maraschino, but a lot more citrus just to kind of give it a little bit more flavor. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Show links are up on the 5 Minutes of Rum website. That's number 5 minutesofrum.com. The show is also on iTunes as 5 Minutes of Rum. On iTunes, you can subscribe to the show, rate the show, or leave a review. The show is also on Twitter as at 5 Minutes of Rum. That's the at symbol, number 5 Minutes of Rum. Uh, either on Twitter or on the website, you can send in comments, corrections, feedback, or requests uh, via either of those channels. And now, go get some rum.